Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo Radio. It's Chef Tom and Terry here at your uh, at your convenience. You can turn us on on um, on the radio. You can turn us on in your podcast situation. Uh, you can do all sorts of things to get our show. Uh, I'm Tom Douglas, owner of uh, Serious Takeout out there in Ballard, 52nd and 14th Northwest. Uh, also, Serious uh, Pie Downtown, the brand new Dahlia Bakery, which is going to open here uh, on June 2nd. Uh, we're hoping for, uh, and of course, uh, Sea Town Restaurant, which is uh, mixed up with down there with Etta's and the Rub Shack and Sea Town all together in the North End area of the Pike Place Market. So. Um, Looking forward to hanging out with you for the next two hours. If you ever want to join us live, you can watch our taping on Facebook Live on Friday mornings from 9 to 11. Chef in the Chapeau is joining um, me. What's up? That's right. I'm Terry Rotiro, the Chef in the Hat, live from Madison Valley. And uh, pride of Luke. We have reopened the, uh, the indoor dining last week. What an experience. On the same week as Mother's Day, we were doing a box. We, we got to ask... And it to us a little bit, but um, good, that's okay. good. That's a good thing. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was definitely a great feeling in order to uh, go through that weekend and feel like a restaurant again. Mm-hmm. And it's of course, very very fun. The governor came out this uh, yeah uh, a couple of days ago and uh, said that uh, looks like things are going. He's going to try and make things normal again by the end of June for vaccinated people yeah. here in the Northwest, and I'm excited about that. So. Um, yeah. I don't mind wearing the mask, honestly. I know some people have a problem with it, I, uh, but I don't mind wearing a mask. I don't mind stopping at a stop sign. I don't mind uh, yielding to pedestrians. <laughs> I don't mind letting the bus go in first. Uh, I don't mind being nice to people. I, I don't get the whole mask, anti-mask thing. So just, uh, just a personal thing. I don't mind it. Uh, plus, it makes me look cuter. Um, no way. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> And younger, we could and younger, that. yeah. You didn't think I could be any cuter, did you, Chef? Today, I our, realize it, no. our show is going to be jam-packed today. We're going to have a little segment on our favorite culinary herbs uh, and how to handle them, whether you're making oils or fresh or fried or whatever it is. Megan Barone is here, or Baron Barone. Talking about her company. Her company, Mixtape Pasta. She's going to join us right here in the studio and has already walked in the door. I'm distracted. Uh, we learned how to wash the dishes from author Peter Miller. He's got that fancy little bookstore that was always on First Avenue and Lenora there, or Virginia. And then now he's down in Pioneer Square, and I haven't been to the new shop. Have uh, you? It's a great shop. Yeah, yeah, I have not been there yet. So I, I just don't get down to Pioneer Square very much. Uh, Stacy, Chef Stacy Fortner is going to hear, be here to talk pastry and rhubarb and all the things that she does every day out at the warehouse kitchen and lastly of course we're going to wind up the show with our rub with love food for thought tasty trivia challenge and we earlier had put on a private contest with our facebook watchers to tell us what what the machine was that we had on our counter here and they couldn't get it uh, it was a electric mochi maker and so we're going to open up our prize uh, contest today to uh uh, one of our listeners who has emailed us and asked us a good question rather than one of our Facebook livers today. Um, all right, uh, Terry, my favorite dish of the week. This last week, we've uh, started having some in-person Hot Stove Society classes again. Yahoo! Uh, we had Ooh, a lunch club here. You. Yeah, we had a lunch club here last Friday after the radio show. And then um, uh, this last uh, last evening, we had a live paella cooking class out at our warehouse uh, under the tents on the east side of the warehouse 
Chef Bridget Charters, our nemesis here in the Food for Thoughts Tasty <laughs> Trivia Challenge, uh, hosted the event, and she did two different kinds of paella. One was a vegetable paella, which we cooked over the gas flame. Is that right, Pamela? Uh, vice versa. We started on wood with vegetables. Okay, so you did both of them. You started on wood and then finished on the yeah. gas? Okay. Just to get that crust. Yeah. And so we did live fire paella, which was super fun and looked beautiful. I didn't get a bite because I was too busy <laughs> drinking wine. And... Um, People had a ball. People are so excited to be out and about. So that's my taste I of the week that. is something that you haven't done for the last 14 months due to COVID. Get out there and do something fun. And that's what we did. A live fire paella. Uh, as, and it was super fun. What's your taste of the week, Chef? Well, I made another jam, which is I wasn't thinking I was going to make jam this week by any stretch of imagination. But, I know. Um, Met Market, uh, Market had some extra gold pineapple. And they were overripe, and I was like, okay, we need to do something with this. I bought two pineapple for four bucks. So I was like, okay, I'm going to taste. I tasted some, and they were, I was like, you know, this, this is good, but this is slightly over the top. So I took them all, peeled them down. I macerated them with a little bit of sugar and lots of rum uh, for two days. And then I made a beautiful jam with that, cooked very slowly. And i tell you one thing. Pineapple jam is hot, man. This is this is this was delicious. It's the bomb, huh? I got, I got four four little jars, and uh, if you come by, I'll give you one to try it. But rum and pineapple, what a beautiful combination! Right away, I was thinking, I was feeling the breeze. You know, I was feeling uh -huh. the the little umbrella in my drink and the uh, <laughs> sunset and the beautiful Hawaiian breeze. <laughs> uh -huh. I was there. I was there the whole time. That is fantastic. I can't believe out of two whole pineapples, you only got four little jars of jam. They must uh, must have had some trimming well, well, to it. I, I, I ate some too. No, there was well, the peel, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, jar, the jars are like um, eight ounce jars, so okay. that's you know that's a that's a good amount of jam. What no, else I could you use that on, Chef? Uh, I know it would be great on toast and stuff like that, but could you make like, like a little pineapple rum tart out of the jam, or what? How else would you use? You your, could definitely your make. Jam? You, yeah, you make. A nice little sweet dough, put that on the bottom. Use it like a lemon, you know the lemon bars or lemon lemon mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. cake. You could do the same principle with a with a pineapple. You could also use it as a chutney if you were not to do a jam. You could macerate it, put some chili pepper, some fresh cilantro, and use that as a chutney for a roast pork or whatever. You just yeah. have to cook it down a little bit. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah that would be. You know, one of my favorite little good. trashy things is a mazurka bar. They're just full of oh, yeah. sugar. You know, usually they have dates in it or sometimes raspberry jam, but that pineapple rum jam in a mazurka bar. I would love that. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay, chef, I'll take yeah. my jar, but I have to come by for it. You're okay. not going to bring it, I understand. So whatever, whatever. No, I'll bring it. I'll bring it. Up next, culinary herbs make the dish. And, of course, uh, I've got a little herb garden started on my window of sill outside my kitchen right now. First time in a couple of years because Jackie has so many herbs out of our farm. That she brings home but i just you know i want what i want when i want it and that's what a little culinary herb garden will do for you it'll give you what you want when you want it and so uh we're going to talk about that uh it's tom and terry in the kitchen on the hot stove society show here on cairo 97.3 fm all right we're back in the kitchen here at the hot stove society thank you for joining us or here all weekend long two hours saturday two hours sunday or online on wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we're there. Happy to be here. Uh, chef in the Chapeau is here to talk about the Herb Garden. Pamela, 
Um, you are a big herb lady. Uh, Pamela is our producer here at the Hot Stove Radio. And uh, tell us what you brought in this morning and then what you want to know from Chef Terry and myself. I brought in the beautiful things that your wife grows in Prosser. Okay. Uh, Lovage is the one that stumps me. And stumps you in a way you don't know what to do with it? Don't know what to do with okay. it. Okay. And I totally underutilize garlic chives. Everyone does, except and for the Asians. I mean, I don't even say that in general, but you see garlic chives all over the place on Chinese menus. You see them in Japan. You see them in all those different cultures, but you don't see them here in the States much. No. And, and they're easy to grow. Easy to grow. So yeah. we need to your tips on how to use those. And I actually, I, there's fresh oregano, which is so strong to my palate. I still find myself reaching for the dried when I'm cooking. But I, w- I want to try. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm stumped by that, honestly, because I always find oregano, fresh oregano to be not strong enough. So that's okay. interesting. I wonder if you're getting margarine oh, no, I- instead of oregano. Ah, could be. Marjoram looks well, like oregano, but it's much more potent. What chef? There are many. There are many types of oregano. I've got three different kinds in my backyard, and one of them is beautiful. Looks gorgeous, gorgeous leaves and everything. Great for presentation, but has very low flavor. But you take the Greek oregano; that stuff is powerful. Mm-hmm. And you want to chop it down and use it. You want to use it as a rub. It's a great. It's a great rub if you're not going to sear, and if you're going to sear your piece of meat or fish. You want to put it after you've done the searing and then put it on top with a little bit of olive oil and then um, let it bake that way. And it will definitely release some of its flavor. The best way for me, you know, whole fish inside the fish. You like put to put a big lemon, wad of it, put, right? A big wad of the, yeah, right, yeah. Put a big wad of it, put it inside the fish. It won't burn. It will release its flavor. It was really, the oil will come out and it will be a good release. Mm-hmm. So, Chef, let's just you and I go through maybe some traditional uses and some uses for these herbs that maybe people haven't really thought about before. Like you just did that on oregano. Is uh, you know you could literally put um, you know ten or twelve or fifteen sprigs of oregano inside of a trout when you're roasting a trout or oh, yeah. or a bigger fish. Let's uh, here's some mint. Here's some uh, right in this next pot next to me is some mint. Uh, traditionally, right over the years in the restaurant, God, you have dessert, you garnish with a little sprig of mint or this or that. It didn't Which is get, gross to me. It this didn't so get used much, uh, it, like other right. than cocktails in my kitchen, right? It, it, it really right. didn't get used much. But after f- being exposed to Vietnamese cooking for all these years, I realized how much I love mint in a very savory way. And so I'm putting right. it into whole leaves in the salads and lots of it, right? Whole leaves in the salads, yeah. whole leaves into um, like a... A, a shrimp toast where you make a shrimp paste, put it on a baguette, pan fry it, and use whole bits of mint or Thai basil in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it, it, to me, my, in my mind, it's become a much more savory herb in my repertoire than it ever was before. Yeah, and again, same thing with uh, mint as oregano. There are different types of mint and different strength. You know, the peppermint is extremely powerful. Uh, and if you go with some regular mint, um, like I forgot the other name, and I was going to say, but spearmint. Anyway, large uh, sp- well, spearmint is very strong as well. Mm-hmm. But the uh, regular large leaf mint are usually much less potent, so that you can use as a whole leaf, and that's what you use in savory as a whole leaf. I'm a big fan of no matter what, cutting it down, uh, julienne it, or, or slicing it. You know, so then you have little pieces of flavor everywhere. Big fan of putting that in, in uh, couscous in rice, in uh, different different grains, 
then you can possibly have pasta and grains, mm-hmm. uh, mint mixed with vegetables and everything. It's such a beautiful and then source of flavor if it's used, you know, not too strong, not too, not too much of it, but if it's used as a, as a hit of flavor, you know. Right. And mint and lemon finishing into a salad will perk up your salad. Oh, it's awesome. Just two steps above. Yeah, it's awesome. I made coconut rice the other night to go with my kind of Maui style flank steak that I was serving and uh-huh. with the, you know, with the salty marinade on it, uh, hula hula, right. hula hula style. Anyway, I made coconut rice to go with it and literally in my rice cooker, the one cup of rice, uh, the uh, three quarters of a cup of water and a half cup of uh, coconut milk that with the cream stirred right. into it. Oh right. my! Mm. And the fresh, <laughs> fresh mint, really good. Okay, next one I have next to me, tarragon. Uh, we use that all the time, right? In savory yeah. presentations, how would you use that maybe in a sweet presentation? So you could do a custard, like let's say you were making a, a lemon custard, finish with chopped tarragon. After it's finished to cook, you throw in all your chopped tarragon in there, and you use that as a base on your top. You will find the flavor when you're eating it. If you don't know what it's in there, you'll be like, "Oh, is that mint? Or is that?" Basil, we, you know, you won't know the difference because that's what tarragon kind of does is between mint and basil. But it's a beautiful and then of flavor. So um, aromatic. Yeah, and you can make a syrup, a tarragon syrup. Mm-hmm. You know, towards, especially once you get the um, older, as we get into the summer, you know, the, the tarragon gets a little bit pungier. So you bring all that flavor into a syrup. You just make a syrup of water and sugar, bring it to a boil, and then after it boils for about one minute, just drop in your tarragon in there and let it steep. Mm-hmm. Take it off the fire and let it steep overnight. And same thing with vinegar. We make a tarragon vinegar dressing at Luke that we sell by itself. It's the same thing. We marinate it. In, we take vinegar, take a whole bunch of tarragon, put it in there, bring it to a boil and let it steep for days. Yeah. And then you have this beautiful scented um, uh, flavored vinegar. Uh, and, for dressing. And if you want to change your base, like uh, we always say simple syrup or a syrup like you're talking about is one to one, one cup of sugar to one cup of water. And you don't right. want to cook it too much or else you end up with crystallization uh, once it cools. Uh, right. I noticed the other day in, in Jackie's hummingbird feeder that she had cooked her sugar water too much. And the, the hummingbird <laughs> feeder is solid rock crystal candy now. Um, but uh, anyway, so you could also, you know, instead of the water, just substitute white wine. Uh, you could substitute Correct. apple cider and make different right. flavored syrups and then add your herbs to that. Garlic chives. Right. I love pureed. Um, um, I, it's just like pesto. just like basil pesto, right? Garlic chive yeah. pesto, yeah. really good. And lovage. Think of. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You want to go on garlic chives? No, I was going to say uh, it's also a great. If you steam a piece of fish, it's a you chop your your. It's called naira. The garlic chive is also called naira. N i r a. You chop it up and you put it right on top of your fish and you steam your fish with that on mm-hmm. top. It's really delicious. It's a good. Way it's to... not as as strong and as pungent right. as garlic, That's... but it is. But it is, you know, as smooth as chive is in terms of onion flavor. So it's really a delicate flavor. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's a good way to get garlic essence without the harshness that sometimes garlic Correct. brings. And right. it's very aromatic. I don't want to lose out on the lovage yet because this is one people freak out about because it's too strong for them generally, right? Uh, right. Because it's got a very heady uh, beginning celery and then moves into this kind of uh, more celery react, more, you know, just a potent. Um, yeah, very concentrated. Yeah. So it's a great finishing for a soup. Let's say you're making, uh, two days ago, I had a, uh, about four potatoes on the counter going going south on me. 
I peeled them and I made a potato leek soup. I had four leeks in the fridge, made a potato leek soup. Lovage is a great, belongs there. You take lovage and you slice it. And at the last minute, when it's finished to cook your soup, you just throw in the lovage in there. You cook it for about two minutes and then you blend the whole thing up. And I'll tell you one thing, that lovage comes through as a light celery flavor in the background. It's really, really nice. You just don't want to use a lot of it at the same time. If you're making a stock, like a chicken stock, Throw in some lovage at the last two minutes. Don't put it for two hours because it will go um, taste like you don't want it to taste. So. Exactly. All right, I got to cut you off there because we got to move on to our, our commercial break, and then we're going to come back and talk to Megan about her new uh, thoughts, her new company called Mixtape Pasta, right here on the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, Cairo Radio ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen right here at Hot Stove Society Radio. Chef Terry in the chapeau out there in Madison Valley joining us at the microphone. We chef, we chef. Uh, All this herbage is making me uh, weak in the knees. I love herbs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We've invited uh, uh, Megan Barone here to talk about her new business called Mixtape Pasta. And, you know, there's been so much chatter out there. I think even the Seattle Times did an article about 20 new kind of micro bakeries that have happened yep. during COVID. And there's so many little things that happened during COVID where people started cooking out of their homes. Not only that, but the government made it legal. You could run a little business out of your home kitchen. Uh, and so uh, we're going to find out maybe from Megan uh, how you went about uh, the process of starting this little business and what was your inspiration and what are the pitfalls. And uh, I'm sure that you've come, gone through everything that I go through starting a big million dollar restaurant happens the same thing in a $10,000 business, right? So uh, I don't know where your, your dollars stand in that picture, but it's, it's all the same problems. Uh, yeah. And I, congratulations. I, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I actually just celebrated one year of doing this pasta business last week. Yay. Thank you. Thank Yay. you. It's pretty exciting. Um, completely unplanned. Um, I worked in wine and was just, you know, uh, furloughed as a lot of people were during the pandemic. I was home, I was bored. I used to teach pasta making classes, I used to cook, and started making pasta for my clients and my friends to because I was bored and I needed to, to do something. And a lot of my clients who own restaurants were like, hey, this is really good. You should probably do this. And then I decided I wanted to rent a commercial kitchen and one of my clients said, hey, how about instead of a commercial kitchen, you use my space because I'm not open right now. Mm-hmm. So use my re- my kitchen and make pasta here. And so that's how I've been doing it. And I work with a lot of other uh, small businesses. I partner with them, either collaborating or um, also like they're hosting me. So I have my pasta being picked up all over Seattle. And so people can actually go to a neighborhood location, pick up from a local wine shop, bottle shop and get their pasta and then pick up a bottle of wine too. So mm-hmm. ends up supporting these clients who what now a, it's my full time job. Great concept. That's a fabulous concept to involve the other small businesses. That's very cool. Well, it becomes collaborative. Like we all benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. We all benefit from it. If I'm boosting them, they're boosting me they go together and yeah, yeah i mean 
don't you want a nice bottle of wine with your plate of pasta? It makes sense. <laughs> of course. So, and I really, um, it's been beautiful. Like, it's really made me feel so much more connected to the world as a whole during this quarantine time when I was like, I could have been stuck at home and miserable and just watching TV, but instead I got to feed Seattle in a really cool, weird way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's given me so much more than just starting a business. I mean, yes, there have been pitfall, pitfalls galore. Mm-hmm. Learning how to start a website, <laughs> dealing with customers. I mean, I've always dealt with customers before, but it's they're wonderful. Some of these customers are now my best friends, but there's also, you know, communication. It's a lot of emails. Right. I never knew how many emails. The email thing you said, overwhelming. I I don't know, Chef, how you're feeling about it, but I know in trying to uh, think about my business in a a new way, I've taken this opportunity to to think about my businesses in a new way, and I get uh, an email for every transaction that happens on my cash register, my POS, so I can see who's coming in. I can see uh, what's happening at each of the restaurants throughout the evening. It connects me in a different way than it was before covid but, oh, geez, 300, 350, 400 transactions a day in emails, I have to, I have to do something different. You yeah, need yeah. your own separate inbox for those. Well, I don't, do. know, yeah. I don't know what I need, but I can't be doing this anymore. It's Pro too tip. difficult. Pro tip, Megan. Yeah, you got to exactly. get those out of Actually, um, that's a, a th- I'm preaching to myself, too, because I need to do that. I do the same thing with our orders. Uh-huh. They all come into in my inbox. I see every one of them, right. which I love, but also... My inbox has like three thousand emails in right. it right now. So, Megan, uh, are you self-funded? If you if yeah. you were, think about this, you're just you're telling a class of people how to get their own micro business started. So, you self-funded? Pretty how, much. Wh- yeah. Like, what did it cost? Well, to get so I started. I bought a Hobart. I used Hobart off mm-hmm. Craigslist for like. That's a mixer, by, by the way. Yeah, big mixer. <laughs> and then I did have some friends lend me some money for my first actual real commercial machine uh-huh. um, how did they get paid back um i have been slowly paying them back so with dollars with not dollars, with pasta not with pasta some of them do get pasta but um <laughs> no it's it's been that and then um i've just it's all been self-funded the business ha- i've been putting it all back into the business mm-hmm. and it's as it's growing i'm able to get more and more equipment like mike easton chef mike easton uh offered me two of the il corvo machines so i was uh-huh. able to buy those perfect and that was it now i can make eight times the pasta that I was making before. So now I have a real pasta factory. Right. It's pretty incredible. And then how are you dealing with the government? Oh, so, well. Because you have to do your... Um your uh, taxes, taxes, <laughs> your King County Health Department, all that stuff. Yeah, well, all that stuff. How's that going? Well, that is all. Thankfully, like I'm able to use Brandon from Marseille. I'm using his kitchen and so he's i'm technically his employee so i'm using his permit at this point Mm -hmm. but um as i i'm actively realizing i need to find my own space right (laughs) and that's where this is all coming in is like oh yeah do i do a wsda permit because wholesale and or do i do this King County, or do I do both? Right. Because that's the make, makes the most sense. Those and, are the kind of things to come up when you have your own businesses. Oh, it? Yeah. Lord, yeah. Lots and then insurance. What insurance, about insurance? Insurance. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I have a great insurance person. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's a thing. That's a thing. Thankfully, it's not that expensive. That's not a very expensive procurement, thankfully. like. Well, now here's the difference. Like, if you had to pay the property insurance on Brandon's kitchen... That would right. be different, right? Exactly. Because I know for me, when we closed all of our restaurants, we literally didn't have one nickel of business coming in, right? Closed $33,000 a month in insurance to keep my businesses insured That's from somebody that might fall in front of one or you know might, might right. do something like that. 
$33,000 a month. Isn't that amazing to think? I can't even. That's, so, that would kill me. <laughs> well, I, you know, I understand. And I'm not yeah, complaining. Even, I'm just yeah. saying that you know, these are the things you have to think about. Even when your doors are closed, we often talk about the, the cost, the flooring cost of being open, right? I, t- I ask this- my team all the time. I say, if, if we didn't open today, what expenses do you have no matter what? So you right. have rent, you have insurance, you have... Uh, um, well, uh, the lights, the electrical yep, panels still there, whatever, triple yeah. nets. You've got all sorts of things that you still there's, have there's to still pay. There's still a few things running. It's called no overhead, what. right? It's called overhead. <clears throat> unless, you, unless you completely close the business, you still have a few things going. That allow, I mean, you cannot be at zero. That does not work like that unless you close the business. <laughs> well, just for example, my dishwashers are all leased, right? Oh, whether I open, Yeah, well, whether I open or not, I pay for yep. my dishwasher every month and, yep. uh, and so the actual dish the machine i'm not talking about the person yeah the machine <laughs> no i mean we i do pay i pay for autochlor <laughs> oh do you yeah oh yeah yeah that's i mean man that's the best part of having a real kitchen space is the autochlor the two-minute dishwasher the two-minute dishwasher yeah exactly and they come out and fix it when it breaks i like that too do. yes they do <laughs> what else would you tell somebody who wanted to start a micro business there's got to be on the on the other side of it the rewarding side of it uh, there's got to have been some things that maybe you weren't expecting to feel so good about. The the, uh, the joy of connecting with people and watching something grow mm-hmm. that I built myself and feeling um, that is nothing. There's nothing better than that. Uh-huh. It's, it's truly something that humbles me and makes me feel so lucky and that I get to actually play every week and people actually support me it's incredible it makes me feel like the world is a a beautiful place you know chef uh you've (laughs) built a restaurant from virtually nothing to what it is today uh Mm -hmm. same feelings right just that same feeling of success it's it's called the the sucker it's the one that makes you all that great feeling is what keeps you going every morning and every day to just to just go and you know it keeps the spirit alive and it's what keeps you going i mean to me there is no no more big there's no bigger reward than having a smiley face going oh my god that was delicious mm-hmm. exactly i mean that's it you've done your job and and it's satisfying it's self-gratification in, in a way but you know to me it's that's where the satisfaction comes in exactly all right megan when we come back in our next segment let's talk about the pasta itself uh, we've got a pot of boiling water you've brought some pasta we've got all these incredible herbs here we've got olive oil butter Uh, Let's talk about pasta and uh, and all of its uh, beautiful variances uh, when we come back on Cairo Radio. This is the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back with Megan Barone, uh, the author of the mixtape pasta business uh, right here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rochero, the chef in the hat. And Terry, we learned in our previous segment of uh, what kind of how to get a micro kitchen business, so the, the pitfalls and the joys of having your own small little business. Megan, you uh, have this pasta business called Mixtape Pasta. Why do you call it mixtape? Well, uh, you know, I used to make mixtapes for my friends. You know, mm-hmm. I studied music in school. That was my former life as a saxophonist. And music has always been a way that I connect with people. And I started making these handmade pastas and hand drawing all the labels. And a lot of friends were like, oh, it's so cute. It's like a mixtape or a zine. And it clicked. I was mm-hmm. like, well, there's a business name right there. And it's I change it up every week. All the flavors are different. And mixtape also, you know, you think about a mixer, you're mixing dough. It just 
felt very natural. It just felt good. Yeah, and then my logo is a cassette tape with a noodle coming out instead of the tape. Oh, which, oh so clever. I, I'm thankful to have a wonderful graphic designer friend. So. And what's the player? Uh, well, we are all the players. We there are you the boombox, you know? Mm, that's right. Exactly. All right, so uh, we talked about the business. Let's talk about the pasta. So is there... Uh, this is looks like an extruded pasta. Yes, it is. And so where do you begin? Uh, well, an extruded dough, uh, you need an extruder. You can use a torquillo, like a, a hand extruder, if you wanted to do something at home yourself. But um, I use 100% semolina, um, which I'm sourcing from Shepherd's Grain here in Washington State. And they are a no-till, uh, uh, non-GMO farm. I really wanted to work with as much local ingredient as possible. So um, they... They provide my grain. I um, use, I do vegan pastas for the extruded. So this is just a ramp puree, a sea salt and water in there. And I just dumped it into, a, a, I forgot to salt the water, but I've salted my butter and oil. I just dumped it into a pot of water. And so a semolina is a little tougher flour mm-hmm. than, say, all-purpose flour. And yeah. so this gets cooked a little bit longer. It, this, this should take about three minutes. I extruded mm-hmm. this uh, last evening. It actually needs some time in the fridge to cure before it cooks. Like, I actually find the texture phenomenal after it dries. You don't want to cook it right away. Not the same with uh, sfoglia dough, like a, like fettuccine or something like right. that. That you can just let dry for 10 minutes. But these eggs. need a little time. Eggs or no eggs, Megan? Not in this. No eggs in this. But I do also make sfoglia, which is egg-based, of course. And that's all, you know, hand-kneaded and got right. these Popeye yeah, arms. Yeah, because it's, it's vegan, <laughs> so you're not putting any eggs. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. I like, I like the inclusivity of, of doing a, a vegan pasta. And I actually oh, feel like the, the flavors come through very clearly without the egg kind of masking it. So Now, I have a hard time sometimes with flavored pastas like this because... Um, I, of all the things I want to put with it, Absolutely. right? And so you end up overwhelming the flavor of the of the pasta. Like ramps are are a beautiful flavor, but in pasta they're not going to be super strong. It's not like it's typically not a pasta that you would just eat by itself, or would you? Well, I always think of it as a kind of a vehicle for a pasta salad. In this particular, like I would do maybe a little creme fraiche and some fresh peas and some ribbons of prosciutto. Okay, and a that's voila. it. Yeah. Okay. You know? yeah. um, or you could, I, I mean, honestly, I work a lot. And when I come home, sometimes it's just butter and pasta. <laughs> and, and having something flavored where that comes through, it's kind of nice. Like, you don't yeah. have to be a chef to make something like this work. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the concept, too, is I want to make people feel like they can do something delicious without skill. <laughs> I've had this in the water for about two minutes. Do you want to taste this? Uh, sure. Real quick. I just pull out a little chunk when I'm trying to test like my pasta. Ready. I feel like it's ready. I, I just pull oh, out a little chunk. Perfect. When I put the pasta in the, in the pan, I like to make a little butter and olive oil mix combo. Well, yeah, that or way you don't, you don't burn your butter. This is also a chance uh, at that moment, Tom, where you can actually add your fresh herb uh, right as you toss them in the pan so the herb starts releasing a little bit. At the last minute of tossing your pasta, you know, we were talking about fresh herb earlier, like garlic chives would be a good as, you know, since you have ramps already in the pasta, you add garlic Absolutely. chives freshly chopped on top and you have an accentuation of the garlic flavor. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to turn my fire off on this. I don't need to heat that anymore. The pasta is hot. Now, one of the things about pasta is I never like pour my pasta water and my pasta into a strainer, right? I pull the, I personally pull the pasta out of the pasta water 
and I save that water just in case I need it to uh, help my sauce. Oh, right? it's, that it's right. water. miracle water. Yes. Pa- pasta water is the miracle. <laughs> I mean, whenever I'm giving instructions, because I make sauces too, and I always say like, save a quarter cup of the pasta water mm. to, to thin out your sauce, to you know mount your sauce. Mm. It gives it such a silkiness. And it really allows everything to come together. So on a butter and olive oil sauce uh, on that with that pasta water, you have to kind of stir it together, and it becomes emulsified in a way that you might, if you're reducing cream or if you're using mustard. Right. Yeah, or, and it's such a great little, especially being a vegan, a, a vegan was vegan. Pasta. I put butter into. I know, it. <laughs> but you know, for vegans, they can actually make a creamy sauce without adding any dairy, which is kind of a cool little hack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pasta water is magic. It really does do so much, and. I'm really nervous for you to taste this. You Why? Guys. You're awesome. Uh, here's the thing. One of the things I love about this shape of pasta, and this is something to think about when you're buying fresh pasta at the store uh, or getting it at one of your pickup uh, spots. Uh, this one, what do we call this? Uh, radiatory. Radiatory. And it's almost like a cup. Yeah. And so this really is nice when you've got... Um, a little thicker sauce and something like that. Macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese because it cups up, Chef. You know what I'm talking about? It yep. cups up all exactly. the sauce. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really delicious. Yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's very important the shape of the pasta. I'm a big fan of pappardelle, you know, but that's a much harder, uh, you know, you need to have a nice sauce that's, that's actually anxious to stick to the pappardelle. Oh, yeah, you need ragu. Ragu, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this is delicious, uh, Chef. I'm sorry you can't be here right now. I'll just eat this. I'll just eat this in front of you. Um, I get the idea. Right from the pan. I love it. Right from the pan. (laughs) That's how chefs eat. Right from the pan. Oh, yeah. Who wants to do another dish? I mean, sorry, Peter. (laughs) Even though we know how to wash them. I'm getting the ramp flavor, right? But it's Mm -hmm. gentle. Yes. So if I wanted to marry something on this, I probably... I mean, a, a pecorino, like a sharp, salty uh, sheep's milk cheese, would be a mm-hmm. fun alternative to the, or a fun match with this because I don't want to put a bunch of onions and a bunch of other flavors here. The ramp is mild and it's lovely, right. and this is the only time of year we get them, the springtime, right? And so you want to celebrate the ramp. So, what's going to bring out the flavor of the ramps in your pasta? Do you have a thought on that? Well, I honestly think you could actually take some fresh ramps. And chop oh, so, them up. So layer them on. If you feel if you feel ramp, like ramping it up. Yeah. Whoa. Killing Hey-o. me here. You're killing me here. <laughs> but I mean, you could, I, also, you could also make a quick uh, blend pesto of ramp. Wait. And that would also be a nice little garnish to the, you know, you put a little bit on the plate on the bottom and put your pasta on top of that. Or, and as you eat, you get a little bit of that pesto. That would definitely enhance the flavor. Yeah. Or, or pickle. I love a quick pickle of a ramp, too, Ooh, yeah. for crunch. Yeah. And then that acid pop, that would give a really fun mm-hmm. textural element to it. Or even a little asparagus, like some blanched asparagus for some kind of green. So that would mm-hmm. enhance the green flavor. I think yep. that would be delicious, too. So I think what we're talking about, Chefy, is that um, we love layering those flavors, right? We talk about that on, that sh- on this show for 20 years, of layering mm-hmm. the flavors, creating depth, and so we've got the ramp pasta, which is really fresh and lovely. And then uh, either the pesto or the ramp leaves in here. And ramps, by the way, I don't think we even explained what they are. They're foraged right now. This is the time. If you go to farmer's markets, you'll see them, a little wild leek of, of sorts, a little wild allium. And they are delicious, And they're but they are very seasonal. Yeah, and very strong by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. They I mean, are if intense. You, if, if, if you eat ramps raw, especially the green part, you definitely will know you're eating one. <laughs> All right, Megan, uh, tell us um, where people can find your pasta. I know you said you had some partners out there. so we're- Yeah, well, um, I 
I have a website, mixtapepasta.com. You can place pre-orders and then pick them up on the weekends at Sound and Fog in West Seattle, Marseille up in Melrose Market, which is my home base. We have uh, Chuck's Hop Shop in Greenwood, Bottle Works in Wallingford, Full Throttle Bottles in Georgetown, and Field Bar down in Tacoma as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, also available inside the fridge at Rain Shadow Meats every day. So no pre-orders required for that. Yeah, perfect. Uh, super fun. Get Very out there cool. and support one of our local uh, small business, uh, micro business owners uh, that popped up right during the pandemic. Uh, I, I love how the pandemic has forced some people, all of us really, to change how we do things and think think how we do things and, and give other people opportunities to get out there and start a business. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Megan Barone, Mixtape Pasta, in case you're looking for it online. Up next, uh, we've got the whack job that is Mr. Peter Miller of Peter Miller Books down there in Pioneer Square. He has a book out called How to Wash the Dishes. And Pamela, our producer, has uh, suggested that it has changed her life. My behavior in the kitchen is renewed. Oh, my God. When we come back on Cairo Radios, it's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stone Society Show on Cairo Radio. Uh, Chefy in the Chapoey, uh, what's going on, dude? I'm uh, live in Madison Valley, and it's beautiful and sunny and about 85 today here down in Madison Valley. 85, man. It's warm there. It's the warmest part of the city. Jerry made pineapple uh, rum jam, uh, Peter, so uh, he's in he's mentally in Hawaii right now. He's in pineapple rub land. Yeah, no, he's down in the valley at yep, 85 exactly. degrees. We are joined degrees warmer than here. Yeah. We are joined on the line by Peter Miller of Peter Miller Bookstore down there in Pioneer Square. Uh, he's got a new book out. Uh, the last one I called, uh, I remember Peter. I, the title is what? Let's do lunch. Lunch at the shop. Uh, lunch, lunch at, at the, the shop. shop. Let's do lunch at the shop. That's the last time we had you on the show. And uh, Pamela is uh, very much enamored. Our producer is very much enamored with your new book, Pamela. Why? Did this strike a chord with you? Other I, than Peter's super handsome, he's a really nice guy. That did help. All that stuff, yeah. Uh, when I walked in to visit him and saw the book in the shop, I, I had a little snicker, and I thought, this is absurd. Although I had seen the galleys as he was working on them, and he's a compelling salesperson, so of course I bought one with the obligatory Swedish washing cloth. I sat down, mm-hmm. and I read the whole book. How to Wash the Dishes, and it has transformed my behavior at the sink. You are so, so is, is, good. So, Pam, I have a question. Pam, I have a question. Is Wait. Mike doing the dishes now? Oh, no. But, but he does. That would be a secret. <laughs> he does love the Swedish washing cloth deeply. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah the, Swedish, the Swedish cloth is really, um, it's a great piece, actually. It's the most interesting thing, and, and it came... That's where my daughter lives in Stockholm, and and she said, she said, "This is all anyone uses here." She said, "The Swedes are very conscious of you know, bacteria and and uh, sour smell and this and that and safety of it." And this little cloth uh, doesn't sour like a sponge. Uh, it's easily cleaned by just throwing it in a pot of boiling water for 
four minutes and then letting it come out. And it gets into the corners of, you know, glassware or things because uh, it's completely flexible. And then it's cleaned again. It's it's a, it's actually a great piece. And, and then she was the one who helped me to put Colleen's drawing on the, on the cover of it. And once you start to use it, then you look at those sponges that, uh, came up all the way through my history, and you see one on the counter, and you think, "Oh my God, what a uh, what a dinosaur of how to do this process! <laughs> what a nasty little thing, Peter! I am what in a charge nasty of nasty little thing. <laughs> I'm in charge of washing dishes at my house. Uh, my yes, wife does the laundry, and I do the dishes. Right? right? So, uh, right? and I, I don't, know, I quite enjoy it. I have a two minute dishwasher at home. One of those commercial jobbers. Right? Uh, what should right. I? What should I be doing differently? I, I'm a classic dishwasher, right? I'm a rinse and stack, right. get ready for the blah blah blah, right. polish the glassware. What should I? Where am I going wrong? Well, just probably in detail, but the you know the truth is, eh, every chef, every chef knows how to wash the dishes. That's the third step of what you just did to make a meal. You prepped, you cooked, and you finished. And when you finished, you did a little bit of a review of how the meal went. Uh, you had a minute to yourself. You also checked why the broccoli didn't sell very well, or why the you know you looked at your day, whatever. But every chef knows how to wash the dishes, and they just do, because that's part of the task. But, you know, this little book is, um, it's like a refresher for uh, the difficulty of maybe the last 50 years where uh, things have gotten away. So people no longer were shown how to make a pie dough or how to make a loaf of bread or and the dishwashing people of course the mielis and such pushed right on to say well you don't even have to do anything you just put it in there and shut the door and you can go back to netflix of course there's still always dishes and you know uh, in my house i do the dishes as well and you know but if somebody comes along i say no 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 that doesn't go in the dishwasher that's a single so that, the rule in our house is if it's a single of something, if it's a colander, if it's a strainer, if it's a, um, if it's a wooden spoon, if it's a, uh, a measuring cup, whatever it is, those don't go in the dishwasher. The dishwasher is for multiples. The basic about the book is to say you need the counter to be reasonably clear and, re- and clean because you're putting things on it. You need the drain to drain so that, that so the water can come go. But then you're down to, you need a bowl in the sink and the bowl cannot be so big that you can't get anything else in the sink because you need to move around in there and you need to rinse things. You need a bowl, you need a very good dish soap and you need good dish, t- dish towels. And, you know, I'm sure that if I come to your house, you can tell me stories about every dish towel you have. And, Thierry, <laughs> yes. I'm sure the same for you. Exactly. Yep. I want to read uh, one quote here. Pamela's going to kill me if I don't get this quote in. Uh, you say, there is an art to preparing and presenting a meal, and there is an art mm-hmm. to putting it all away. And so mm-hmm. in that in that nature, is, um, <laughs> when I go to pick up dishes or pans or things like that, I'd like to know that they're exactly where I put them and they're ready to go when I come back. That's oh, correct. boy, I'm the, I'm the same exact way. Yeah, and I know when they're not immediately, yes. Yeah, I'm the same way, and that's why that's why also I do the dishes. <laughs> You're a chef. You know, you know where the carrot peeler is, and you'd never put the carrot peeler in the dishwasher. You have I'm one also, carrot peeler. Yeah, and I'm also a big fan of uh, doing as much dishes as possible before I sit down for dinner. Of course. You know, I'm a... Of course. I'm a, I like to like, clean as a, I go. 
it's a very, I talked to someone about this and, uh, someone from Montana who had, they were very serious about their cooking and things. And, and they, there was sort of this quiet and they said, in our house, you did not start dinner unless the dishes were done that were behind you. Absolutely. And it was very serious, you know, so that you could, when you came back, you didn't come back to a, you know, a car crash. And, and also uh, the dishwasher is not a garbage dump. Rinse off your plate. No. Make sure you don't put all the food in there. I mean, some people have an idea that the dishwasher would do anything. And I'm like, no, it's only spraying water around to clean your, to disinfect your plate. That's it. It's not really yes. meant to clean. You know, so you have to, yes. if you have a scorchy uh, plate or pan, that doesn't go in the dishwasher without being taken care of first. It does, it, also, it does not have a disposal in the dishwasher, no matter That's how right. intricate you talk about it. Um, you know, people, you know, the most common thing that people ask when, when I, I, I'm talking about this, what they say, so do you rinse or not rinse? And, and I, at first I didn't really quite get it. And then I realized they're so used to just putting something unrinsed into the machine. You know, I said, look, if you're outside or you've taken a hike or you're completely filthy dirty and you come inside, you don't jump into the tub all filthy dirty. You rinse. <laughs> of course well, you do. And you get it. <laughs> and the same with doing the dishes. You really, you know, the most crucial thing to set up is that you protect your dish soap water. Your, you, you know, if you rinse a, uh, a cup of coffee in it with the coffee and the cream and everything else, that soapy water is useless to you from then on. Yeah. You know, but people come along the minute you're doing the dishes, and they dump their thing right into your dishwater. You think, oh, my God. I just want to smack them upside the, the head. Smack them upside yeah, the head. Okay, to your i got to cut this off. Dishes. This is super interesting. We're talking to Peter Miller about his new book called How to Wash the Dishes. And I'll wrap it up with this. You will know your state of mind when you wash the dishes, your care or your impatience, your attention or your distraction. You will see yourself at that moment clearly. So, uh, Peter, it's a, a fun uh, diatribe true, uh, dishes. It, huh? <laughs> uh, I try not to see myself. The only time I ever see myself is in the shiny head of my my driver on the golf course. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's the only time I care. When we come back, we're it's Copper River season, and we're going to uh, we're going to raise some money this year with the first of the season Copper River salmon, uh, and we're going to raise some money for the Ballard Food Bank on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Chef in the Chef Poe, how are you, sir? I am beautiful, thank you, Tom. This is Thierry Rotro, the Chef in the Hat in Madison Valley, uh, owner of Luke, and uh, very happy to announce that we have restarted our in-house dining. And man, there is nothing more beautiful than the buzzing restaurant at night. Exactly. You know, I'm excited. Uh, we're getting ready for the arrival of the first Copper River salmon season. And mm-hmm. uh, first Copper River salmon of the season, I will say. And uh, looking forward to that. People always have a question about, is it worth the price? And I, I'll just say this from uh, my perspective. Uh, yes, it's worth the price. And there's, a, there's w- one big reason for that, and that is that the marketing and the inspiration behind the whole Copper River Salmon project uh, has really uh, given salmon an upper echelon in the food world that it deserves. 
And sometimes uh, in the past, uh, years ago, when I first started anyway, some of these beautiful fish were not treated with the respect. They didn't get the price that they deserved. To me, it's just as good as any Wagyu beef tenderloin or, or rib roast or you name it. It should command the same kind of price. And by Copper River uh, starting that process of uh, making it more important, it has brought up the price and the value of all the fisheries, the Yukon Kings, the Columbia River Kings, and and that makes us pay more attention and respect the product that much more. So, um, And, yes, it's delicious, and it's as good as any, if not better than most, uh, salmon that I've ever had. So how about you, Chef? Yeah, I think I'm with you 100%. I think also... Very importantly, it has educated people about salmon. Mm-hmm. It has bring them aware, uh, the awareness of there are more than one kind of salmon out there. There's not just king. There is, you know, there's tons of salmon, silver, coho. You know, you have tons of different pink. You have different salmon at different type of the season from different area. But most importantly, you help, it's like farming, like we always talk about. You know, you're supporting a very small industry or uh, an industry that has a very focused uh, point, and they need the support. If we don't buy the salmon, they ain't get a living. So. Right, and then they choose other things, like mining, which right. uh, will destroy the salmon runs of the future. So uh, we, we love making an, a, a viable economy around these wild fish. I mean, they need to be managed properly, but right. uh, they need to have an economy so that the locals can put their kids in the school and feed them, put food on the table, and that they don't have to choose something more detrimental to the environment. So Correct. that is uh, that's one of the great reasons. Here's the thing when you're out looking for Copper River, for me, Chef, anyway, is I'm always buying the, what's considered the subspecies. Now, that's really based on if you look, look at the, there's a couple of things that make them subspecies, right? The king is the, the king of salmon, right? And it's also right. the fattiest and most prized and, of course, most rare and most right. expensive. So right. forget about it. Enjoy looking at it. Uh, listen to other people talk about it. It's 50 60 $75 a pound, uh, and there's not enough to go around. So don't be part of that. What I would suggest is that you start to look at the cohos and the sockeyes from Copper River. They have the same difference in lusciousness that the right. kings do, and they are a half to a third the price. And uh, enjoy it. Uh, any thoughts on that? I'm uh, 100% with you. I think, I think it depends if you can afford it. I think if you can afford it, take a king, take a sockeye, and a, you know coho, and then try the different type of salmon if you can afford it. If That's you can, you mean buy buy a like a, a half pound of each is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Or even a pound of each, and then try, you know have have a party like two, four people, and then try you know take take the pieces and have everybody try it and and try to find out if your seventy four sixty bucks a pound is worth it, mm-hmm. or if your Fifteen dollars a pound, twenty dollars a pound is worth it. Right. So you know you can, <clears throat> you can go that route and educate yourself about what is that, you know, what is it that you can actually call worth it compared to your wallet. Because mm-hmm. that's you know, I mean, to always talk about the price is it's not worth it or whatever. Well, it's like everything else. A three hundred dollar tab for dinner is obviously not for everybody. But there are some people that doesn't they don't care. I mean, three hundred dollars. Well, they care, whatever. but they find it worth it to them. Correct, correct. Yeah. That's what I mean by that. So, so it's it's like anything else in life. It's not necessarily the fish that's not worth it. It's just you know it depends on what you can afford. Don't make yourself miserable to be able to bash on something afterward because you can afford it. So just you know yeah. go with what you can afford. But try, be curious. Try the different type, and you should definitely also, uh, for me, 
the Copper River is a great fish. But over the year, I have found the Yukon to be outstanding fish as well. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I know that the, we're talking about copper, but, you know, Yukon is also a delicious fish. And locally, Washington State, uh, I was just telling Pam earlier, I've had one of my favorite fish in Washington State was from the whole river. Over, I'm in, over in the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. The whole river to me has, has always produced some very outstanding, outstanding salmon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are different places, and you need to be curious and do samples of that. We have the luxury here to be in the, in the epicenter of receiving all those salmon from Alaska and from Washington State, and we have the luxury to be able to try those because they go and come on the market. The other so thing I would say, uh, Chef, is that when you're uh, at this time of year, you know, you'll have a 10-day window, and then they'll close the season for copper, and then they'll come back when, they, when the local fishery management says that there's been enough fish that got through to right. spawn and keep the run going and all that sort of thing. But So you'll come in and out of season for the next couple of months on copper. Right. Uh, the thing I would do in this beginning part of it is take a sockeye or take a king, whatever it is that you get your hands on, and, you know, I make the the best-selling salmon rub in the world. You know, my rub, I'm not kidding. It is the best-selling salmon rub in the world. I sell over 50,000 jars a month of salmon is rub. Is that the only one? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. But this isn't is the time. salmon rub out there? Listen, listen. This isn't the time. When you, If you get your hands on a piece of copper and you've paid $75 a pound for it, it's the time to kind of just put it in a steamer basket and steam it up and try the fish. Don't get distracted, right? right? Maybe throw a little lemon juice right. or a little flake salt on it, but don't be distracted from the experience that you can have with the best salmon in the world, right? Give it a right. chance to just speak right. for itself. And then, you know, people eat salmon a couple of times a week. You know, then use my rub, right? You use it on, on wherever and whenever. Uh, but... It, give yourself the opportunity to try it without any adornments, all right? So, Pam, tell us about the event we're having out at the Sirius Takeout Dock uh, next week, uh, next Saturday, I believe, the 22nd, uh, and who's uh, sponsoring it and what we're going to do. Our Grilling for Good series returns, which is when, with our partners, Alaska Airlines, Copper River Marketing, and Trident Seafood, we are able to cook, serve, and sell a dinner, and then provide the proceeds to one of our neighbors, Mm -hmm. Ballard Food Bank. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be out there live uh, from 12 to 3. Let's not put the cart before the horse there. (laughs) 12 to 3 on the 22nd, and we've got, uh, it's $100 a person, a a serving, of which $90 is tax deductible, and it is... uh, we are going to celebrate the very first Copper uh, River Salmon of the, of the of year. the season. Yeah, exactly. And 100%, because of our partners, 100% of the money goes to the Ballard Food Bank. So very important. So be generous. You'll get a salmon dinner and do something for good. You're grilling for good grilling at the same good. time, huh? Yeah. Chef, uh, can it's we get you. you out there? If you drive by, I'll just Absolutely. run one and put one in your trunk. Yeah. That'll I'll be a delight. I'll definitely get one of those. All right. Yes. Chef Terry Sign bought the first one, one or two. One. One, you cheapskate. <laughs> Come on, you cheapskate. Uh, right, well, right. Kathy needs dinner, too, you know. She can have it. Okay, Chef uh, Chef Terry gets the first Copper River uh, pickup at Sirius Takeout Here next Saturday, the 22nd. Uh, up next, oh. it's uh, Stacy Fortner, pastry chef out at the Dahlia Workshop out at the Ballard Warehouse, is going to share her ideas on how to handle rhubarb this season on Cairo Radio. 
It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. Uh, Chef Terry of the Chapeau, Tom Douglas here, uh, talking rhubarb with our friend and, and uh, lead baker, head baker, master baker, Stacy Fortner out at the Dahlia Workshop there at the Ballard Warehouse Kitchen. Uh, Chef, uh, we're going to talk with Stacy about rhubarb. And uh, I know you love rhubarb more than I do. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a semi-rhubarb person. But uh, it can I, be a hard sell. I can be convinced. And the other day, <laughs> uh, Stacy was making a picture for our rhubarb pie promotion that we were doing for Mother's Day, and I actually sat and I ate an entire piece of rhubarb pie. And I got to no. say, yeah, I did. I ate the whole thing. Uh, I, you know, I was starving to death, but I did eat the whole thing. <laughs> and it was delicious. And what I liked about it, Stacey, uh, my favorite thing is that I kind of like an old-fashioned pie, and that particular rhubarb pie that you made had that kind of glossy sticky gooey thing over the rhubarb like you found find in old-fashioned pies i think it comes from cornstarch but maybe i could be mistaken no you're correct tom it does come from cornstarch but as bakers we have uh, the luxury of having access to a special cornstarch that's made just for pies and gelling so that's why you know you should buy your rhubarb pie your rhubarb pie from us because we have this specially designed cornstarch that makes it even more luscious than normal. But at home, you can use regular cornstarch. And if you're in a pinch and you don't have any, you can use AP flour too. Or AP flour. All purpose. Yeah. Or they could come buy it yeah. from you. Is that true? Would you share it with them if they came to the warehouse? Of course they would. Of course. Yeah. Because we probably buy it in 50 pound bags. We do. We buy it by the 50-pound bag from a baking company. Go ahead, Chef. Stacy, do, do you find then the uh, flour is a little bit harder to bake than the uh, cornstarch, as in after flavor? You know, it's not that it's harder. It's just that uh, it doesn't have the same glossiness like Tom was talking about. When you see that, it almost looks like a little bit of right. jelly coming out of the pie. That's my favorite part right. when it's so like, clear and shiny. The flour is a little bit more dull. And um, right. it doesn't also freeze as well. Ah, uh, yeah. Freezing so if you want to make your that's right. So if you want to make your pie and freeze it raw and then bake it at a later time, cornstarch. Um, we usually like to use the cornstarch for that. Okay, rhubarb, uh, Stacy. How are, how else are you using it this year? Well, you know, rhubarb is something that I just have to say we love it and we hate it because we wait all winter, you know, for fruit finally. And then for the and then we're so excited to have it. Such a gorgeous color, so beautiful. It grows everywhere in Seattle. It seems like. And then you know, three four months later, you really had enough of the rhubarb. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, a couple things I want to say about it because I have my own rhubarb plant too. So it you know it, you can just constantly be picking it and using it. And the more you pick it, it seems like the better it grows. You know, it gives it a little more light with those gigantic leaves it has. Which, by the way, the only part on the plant that's poisonous, so don't eat the leaves. Just want to mention that. Um, and then, you know, your rhubarb is a vegetable, but, of course, everyone uses it as a fruit. Um, so what I like to do, that's a little trick that we bakers have, is we like to cut it up in advance, you know, dice it or slice it, depending on what size it is. And then we pre-sugar it. So kind of like people do with their strawberries, how they macerate it. Well, we macerate the rhubarb with the strawberry and with that, do- oh, sorry, with the uh, sugar. What that does is it draws all that extra water out. 
So then, you know, when you go to cook it, rhubarb can get really mushy on you really fast. But if you let it soak for a couple of hours on the countertop or in the refrigerator overnight, then you'll pull out all that extra liquid. It gives you a little bit firmer rhubarb. And then I like to take that liquid, which is now just sweetened with sugar. It's like a lovely pink color. And I make cocktails with that. Ah. <laughs> Nothing goes wasted. That's right. So and, you, you know, you could also just make an Italian soda with that, pour it over ice, mm-hmm. soda water. So when you say you make cocktails, uh, do you, do you, do you uh, reduce it into a simple syrup, or do you just use the actual, it becomes its own simple syrup? It becomes its own. If you just use regular sugar, just mm-hmm. sprinkled over the rhubarb, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes its own. It's ready to go. You know, you could add a little bit of vanilla to it, or you could... Uh, a scoop of vanilla ice cream with some soda water in there. That's one of my favorite things. So like a rhubarb but, you know, ice cream mm, soda. Mm. Exactly. Mm. The thing about rhubarb is, you know, you just you can't, it's not as good when you overcook it. So you kind of have that fine line when it becomes crunchy to mushy. Right. Uh, so just one more second on the cocktail. You've intrigued me because I'm always looking for ways to <laughs> like rhubarb more. What's the booze mm-hmm. in that cocktail? Oh, man, it goes so nice with uh, gin, vodka, because it's got that, you know, little bit of floralness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, like you said, you know, of course it's tart, but like I said, man, you add a little bit of vanilla syrup to that, some gin, ice, you have a, or a, what, what is that popular drink they're doing now, Italian spritz or something? Mm-hmm. With the Aperol mm-hmm. spritz? Yeah. Yes. I could see, like, a dash of rhubarb syrup in that. Delicious. Interesting. All right. And then uh, mm. other desserts. I know that you love pies. You are a pie queen. Uh, are there mm-hmm. other ways to use rhubarb, like in a, in a scone or a biscuit? Or is there any? Is there any yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is uh, make a rhubarb upside down cake. So you can just take the raw rhubarb, you know, sprinkle a little sugar on the bottom of your cake pan before you bake it. Put the raw rhubarb down and then just pour your cake batter right on top of it. Flip it upside down. You got a rhubarb upside down cake. Let's see. We've done uh, today. In fact, I just had a cookie that had a little bit of rhubarb baked in the middle, like a little cookie coffee cake. You can make. Uh, it also makes a delicious uh, like bar. Mm-hmm. You know, with a little streusel on top for breakfast. I could see you liking that. Tom. A rhubarb mazurka. I'm I'm all about mazurka <laughs> bars. It, we, that would make a perfect mazurka. And jam, let's not forget jam. And mm-hmm. in fact, I just made the recipe out of the Dolly Bakery cookbook the other day, and the rhubarb jam turned out perfect. It was so delicious out of there. And it does the same method where you soak the rhubarb, but then you use that liquid to cook the rhubarb in later. So it's kind of get like extra rhubarb flavor. You don't even add any additional liquid except mm-hmm. a little orange juice. And by, by cooking it, are you reducing that liquid down so that it's uh, more intense? Typically, you'd make more of like a jam or a compote, like a pie filling. Chef, you have a favorite way to use rhubarb? Yeah, I'm a big fan of doing the savory uh, rhubarb part of cooking down slowly and uh, finish it with a dash of vinegar at the end. You know, some some reduced balsamic vinegar, for example. (laughs) I take some balsamic vinegar, reduce it by half, and then I drizzle that over the uh, uh, slowly cooked uh, rhubarb at the end. and, And you have this in the fridge. You can go with cheese. You can go with so many different things, cold cuts. Uh, you could put on top of a salad if you have a, um, if you make like a couscous or tabouli salad, you can drizzle a little bit of that rhubarb right on top. That rhubarb uh, kind of like 
pureed savory kind of idea, mm. and you make a makes a nice little dressing kind of idea, a last minute flavor. Just a good way, and then also another way is to put it in ice cube tray and make those gorgeous little pureed rhubarb um, uh, cubes, and you put in your cocktail. You know, if you do like a, a, a white rum cocktail, and then you drop the ice cube in there, and by the time you Ooh, yeah. are eating, drinking your cocktail, it melts and becomes a nice little addition of flavor. So that's another way to use it. But rhubarb is delicious. It's You know, you just have to work with it gently, and, and you also have to do sugar is definitely part of rhubarb. Sugar, lemon, and mint. We were talking about mint earlier with Tom. And mint and rhubarb go well together as well. So... That's funny. I was just thinking about that, too, because Stacy is such a Kentucky Derby freak and always has a little hat party every year and makes some mint juleps and stuff. And I was thinking a little rhubarb in her mint julep would be a very nice addition with the bourbon. Yeah. Don't forget that you can also, you know, you can pick the rhubarb raw, uh, chop it up and freeze it so you can use it all winter, too. And Stacey, we only have a minute, but tell people about the difference between rhubarb and the old controversy about strawberry rhubarb pie. Because uh, we went through this, uh, we went through this last year, but you only have a minute. Condense it. Okay, so when Tom was yelling at me last year and forcing more strawberries into the strawberry rhubarb pie, he said, if it doesn't have more strawberries, we got to call it rhubarb strawberry pie then. But funny enough, we learned that strawberry rhubarb is a variety of rhubarb. You know, with the, given the color, it's a little bit sweeter in flavor than the green, uh, uh, you know, variety. So it's not actually strawberry and rhubarb all the time. Sometimes strawberry rhubarb means it's a variety of rhubarb. I know. That was embarrassing that I didn't know that after all these years. But uh, <laughs> I don't mind you telling secrets on me, uh, Stacy. That's all right. I'll get you later. But, but don't worry. Since then, Tom, now we've changed the recipe to include more strawberries. More strawberries. Yeah, we were we were arguing about whether it should be strawberry rhubarb pie or rhubarb strawberry pie because she, for a pie at that point in the pie, I want to say in a whole pie you were using about two tablespoons of strawberries or maybe a, a half a cup of strawberries. It was- a little lean on the strawberry yeah. you're right but you know when we have this much rhubarb in washington you, it's really your obligation to use as much as possible <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> all right up next uh it's time for us to uh do the food for thought tasty trivia challenge brought to you by rub with love and we'll be right back as, she- as chef stacy are you staying with us for that I have never missed an opportunity to uh, face off with you on Trivia, Tom. All right. There's a challenge laid down. At the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society's Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, small batch versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that bring extra flavor and layers of flavor to just about any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shops, Bartels, or find them online at TomDouglas.com. Uh, so, Pamela, uh, we forgot to mention earlier about where to buy tickets for our big salmon uh, grilling for good event over at the dock in Ballard. It's just getting posted today at TomDouglas.com. A hundred dollars a person, but it gets you a spectacular meal with asparagus, new potatoes, pickled cucumbers, roasted red peppers, and a spring herb vinaigrette. All proceeds to the Ballard Food Bank. One hundred percent of the money goes to the Ballard Food Bank. So uh, 
Uh, we are not taking anything on that. Just an FYI. Get out there and support this event. That'd be great. We don't have many to sell, so first come, first serve. Terry's already the first one in. I've already got one in. All right. Thank you. Uh, who's our winner today in our Rub With Love uh, trivia challenge? We're real happy that Lori Allen is going to be getting, uh, in honor of Copper River Salmon, our world famous, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Salmon Rub. And in also in this week's prize package, a jar of the Kansas City barbecue sauce and my beloved toasted shallot mustard. Yum. Delicious. Okay. Uh, how do you play the game? Three contestants will each get five questions. The loser that gets the most wrong has to pay for the shipping of the prize package. And Lori lives a long <laughs> ways away. And so. she wants it FedEx next day. She wants it overnight. <laughs> overnight All right. We're welcoming back Stacy Fortner, pastry chef at the Dahlia Workshop. And uh, she's going to be our third contestant. Uh, Terry, you want to get us started? I go. Yes. Uh, today, in honor of Stacy's presence, we are pastry and baking focused. Number one. Yes. Terry, what type of icing is typically used to assemble gingerbread houses? White icing, which is uh, <laughs> white icing. What is, what is, what is, <laughs> no, Stacy, school him. No. We won't accept that, Terry. <laughs> royal icing. It's royal icing. No, you you gotta make it royal, don't you? <laughs> yes. There's enough. There's enough cheese on it. Fairing. F A R I N G. Maybe it's farring. Is the ground inner part of what grain? It's your favorite, Terry. Farrow. Wheat. Ah, tricked you. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Farrow is, is an old wheat. It could be I'm considered. Still, I'm still okay. I'll give it to him personally. Oh, that's a yes. Uh, it's called farring because it comes from, comes from farrow. That's why. Far away. Uh, far- <laughs> <laughs> Number three, what is the French term? For the dough used to make eclairs. Oh my God! Got the shoe. I can't give the French guy the French. I did. Yeah. I did. Hey, careful! We're asking baking questions here. Which culture <laughs> baked the first known cakes? Bonus points if you can think of the type of cakes. The German. The Egyptians. The well, ancient, I, knew that I, thought the German, I, I thought the German got there first. <laughs> the Egyptians baked a honey cake. Uh, two yes, two no. Finally, another name for primary fermentation is primary fermentation. That's a great question. Um, hmm. Answer Tom? would be bulk fermentation. Stacy, would you agree with that? Yeah. It's a little bit tricky. I almost, I would have said sponge. Oh. I probably would have been wrong. See? <laughs> See? Okay, we're going to give it to Terry because I think that's an ambiguous question. No, 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 question. no. It, no, another question. It's, it's, I mean, you we don't have another one, Yeah, chef, another so. question. Okay, okay no, no. Uh, we'll give him another one. What is ganache made of? <laughs> Chocolate and cream. Yes. To, to start. <laughs> Three yes, two no. All right, Stacy. Benching means what? That would be to let something rest. Exactly. Relaxing the dough. Yeah. Um, what are <laughs> examples of pre-fermentations used for making bread taste great? Uh, that would be what we were just talking about, I believe. The sponge. Yeah. Uh, a poolish. Yes. And a lavon. 
Huge, huge, yes. Geez, she gets she gets three points for that. That's impressive. I know you get three points for that. I am making a sponge cake as an example. What would be the most suitable type of flour to use? Oh, that would be cake or pastry flour. Yes, and the difference of those is their self rising ability. Uh, that would be the strength in the flour, so it would have less strength. So it'd be a more delicate. Uh, so less ratio. Gluten, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. What <laughs> is the fruity ingredient of a Schwarzwalder Kirschtorte? <laughs> <laughs> that's too many oh, that's vowels for me. Schwarzwalder Kirschtorte. So the, the fruity in, the fruity ingredient. Yeah, of a Kirschwasser. Yeah, yeah. Well, since Kirschwasser is uh, made from cherries, I'm going to have to guess and say cherry. You are correct. Absolutely. Yes. And what cake derives its name from the French word for lightning? Or what pastry dessert derives its name from the French word for lightning? Can I ask a friend? You can ask (laughs) a friend. Ask a friend, Stacey. Ask me. Thierry, help me out on this one. So what is lightning in French? It's éclair. Oui. (laughs) Éclair. So he's giving it to Stacy. So she she's five for five. <laughs> five for five. Plus she got the extra point. So that's seven for five. <laughs> seven um, for five. I'm not even wow. gonna. I'm not even gonna play today. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. Going to Tom. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. I want you to lose. Simmel cake <laughs> is a rich fruit cake with marzipan balls on top. When is it traditionally eaten? Christmas. <laughs> Easter. Easter. <laughs> Kitchen conundrum. Oh, no. I've made chocolate brownies, but they are hard and dry instead of sticky and soft. What did I do wrong? Overcooked them. Yes. The zest is a peel of which types of fruit? Any type of fruit. Any citrus fruit. Citrus is the correct answer you got there. What is a butterscotch-flavored cake-like Cookie bar made without cocoa. A blondie. Oh, he's coming. Yep, he's. This is a tough one. What is, <laughs> he's really heating up. What is a ban marie? <laughs> uh, that's a uh, that's a area of France where you're not allowed to be named Marie. You're banned. <laughs> no, it's a hot water bath. Hot water exactly. bath. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. But Stacy still wins. Terry pays the shipping. All right, Terry. All the way to San Diego. Thank you for playing, Stacy. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live or at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Uh, I'm going to start calling her Pamela Wacko Hinckley. Thank you. Uh, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me the Tory. Sorry for all the work today. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous sunny weekend. <laughs>